Last week, we started a new series called Portraits of Grace in the Old Testament. And in this short series, we are exploring how the stories in the Old Testament anticipate the climax of the Bible, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible is one big story. And like every story, the gospel has four stages to its plot. Here's a graph of what a normal story is, what every story is like. It has a beginning, and then there's a conflict. It reaches its climax, and there is a resolution. You see, the Bible, being the meta story, being the architect of all stories, has these four stages. It begins with God creating the world. That is how everything starts. And then there's a conflict, what we call the fall of man, when man decides to rebel against his creator. Then there is the climax, the coming of Jesus, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And then there is the restoration of all things. This is how the Bible ends. You know, the Old Testament, within this, this whole narrative arc, the Old Testament falls in between the conflict and the climax. In other words, the Old Testament is the part of the Bible where there's this rising action, where all the stories are building up with lots of drama towards the climax, the coming, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so today, what I would like to do is I want to look at this specific story, 2 Kings chapter 5, and I want to see how this story points us forward to the gospel of Jesus. And to do that, we're going to look at three points in this story. We're going to look at the universal search for God. The second, we're going to look at the futile efforts of man. And the third, we're going to look at the free offer of grace. So please follow along with me. First, the universal search for God. The story begins by introducing a man named Naaman. And see how Naaman is described. First, he's described as a commander of the army of the king of Syria. In other words, Naaman was a man with a great position. Next, the Bible tells us he was a great man with his master and in high favor. Not only did he have a great position, but he had a great reputation. And the Bible continues, because by him the Lord gave him victory to Syria. So he also had great success. It continues, he was a mighty man of valor. So he had great abilities. This man, Naaman, had great position, had a great reputation, had great success. And it wasn't because of luck or chance or nepotism. It was because he was a skilled warrior. He had great abilities. You know, it's hard to find these four things in a single individual, but Naaman had it. He had great position, had a great reputation, had great success and results. He had great abilities. But immediately after, the Bible tells us he was a leper. In other words, he had an incurable skin disease. Naaman is a man who is quite impressive on the outside. But on the inside, he is a man who is weak and fragile. Naaman is a man with an impeccable resume. 
but on the inside, he has an incompetent physique. Naaman is a man who is impressive, but on the inside, he is just simply weak. On the outside, he is envied by people. But really, if people knew what was inside of him, he would be the source of the spies. See, Naaman was a man who seemed to be complete. He had everything in life. But really, for those who knew him, they knew that he was not. And it's because of this, it's because that Naaman is incomplete, it's because he is missing something in his life, Naaman becomes a seeker. And it's ultimately through his search, it's ultimately through his search that Naaman meets his maker and more importantly, his healer. You know, our poets and our philosophers have for ages described life as just a big search. Life is nothing more than a search, they said, search for something that's missing in life. For some, it's a search for beauty. For others, it's a search for glory. For some, it's a search for love, while others is a search for purpose. Some seek out significance or pleasure or knowledge or truth. We all seek certain things that we are missing in life. You know, the Bible would certainly agree with that. Yes, the Bible tells us that all of life is a search. We are all seeking something. And while beauty and knowledge and love and truth, while significance, while these things may be the road that we take, the Bible tells us what we are really after, what we are desperately seeking, is our Creator and our Maker. You know, the Bible tells us that we were made in the image of God. In other words, we were created with the sense of divinity. And because that is in our DNA, because it's in our makeup, it's in our blueprint, we desire fellowship with God. It is in our makeup to seek after eternity. Augustine, in his work, Confessions, said it best when he said this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Because God has created us in his image, because we bear his image, it is in our DNA to desire the divine, to seek the eternal. See, what's important here is it's not because Naaman was a leper. It's not that he was a leper. That was not the reason why Naaman became a seeker. Naaman was a seeker regardless. If it wasn't leprosy, then there was something else missing in his life, and he would seek that. You know, the Bible makes quite clear that no matter how complete we are, unless we have met our Creator and our Redeemer, there will always be something missing. The feeling of incompleteness, this feeling of emptiness, will never go away. Sure, it'll manifest itself in very different ways. It might appear in, in, in a physical way, as in the case of Naaman, right? There might be a sickness or a disability that you have, or maybe someone that you know and love, and that sickness or disability causes you to seek healing, 
or maybe it's emotional, psychological. Maybe it's something regarding the past and how that continues to haunt you, leaving a void. Maybe it's relationship issues that gives you this feeling of emptiness that it's not complete. Maybe for some reason you're not at peace, always feeling uneasy or anxious. You know, the world can give us a very simple formula. It can say you're missing love, and so what you need to do is you need to seek out love. You're missing truth, and so you need to seek truth. But the Bible, the Bible gives us the correct perspective. It's not that we are missing those things per se, but it's through those things. It's through those supposed gaps in your life that you are actually seeking God. You know, I've heard it hundreds of times in the testimony of Christians. Testimonies always start in this way. You know, I was looking for love. I was looking for acceptance. I was looking for true community. I was looking for forgiveness. I was looking for justice. But the story always ends. Though I was looking for those things, I found Jesus. Friends, be encouraged this morning that whatever it is that you think that's missing in your life, whatever void that you have identified in your life and that you are trying to fill, that it's actually those voids that is calling, that's actually making you yearn for God himself. Friends, can it be that whatever that emptiness is, can it be that that emptiness is actually not a hole, but it's a road? It's not a void, but it's a path. That God is calling you to him through that void in your life. And so we find here in the case with Naaman, a man who had everything seeking. And for us, for many of us, when we have everything, everything that we will probably never lack anything, still we are seeking. It's because God has created us with a sense of divinity, and we will forever seek until we find our Maker and our Redeemer. So that is the universal search. We find it in a man who is so accomplished, Naaman. The second point we find is the futile attempts of man. Look at the way Naaman goes out and look at how he tries to seek out what's missing. He goes, and the method that he takes, it's king to king. He goes to the king of Syria, and the king of Syria writes a letter to the king of Israel. In other words, for Naaman, he's taking the route of the highest diplomatic level. He goes from king to king to solve what was missing in his life. Not only does he do that, but he also brings gifts. If you look at what he brings, 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. This is a king's ransom. You know, even though Naaman was a very successful man, a fortune this large is probably most of his net worth. So in other words, Naaman is not just bringing chump change, but he's bringing almost everything that he owns. And this shows Naaman's desperation. Naaman is trying to use 
all the leverage he can to seek and find what he was missing. It's a letter from a king and all the riches that he has. Does this work? Well, this great plan of Naaman, this great effort of Naaman to seek what was missing, it fails. The scheme fails. His efforts fail. The king of Israel, when he receives this letter, he, he tears his clothes and he says, I can't do anything. Even Naaman's wealth, everything that he brought proves to be useless. You know, for us, when we see this, we're thinking, wow, that, that must be a fortune. But for Naaman in this situation, it's actually just dead weight. It's useless baggage that he lulled all the way from Syria. It can't help him at all. Now, juxtapose this with what Elijah the prophet does. What does Elijah do? Well, when Elijah the prophet hears uh, of what happened, he tells the king, hey, tell Naaman to come to me. And so Naaman, he goes all the way to Elijah. Imagine, right, Naaman with a small army, with horses and chariots carrying loads of gold and silver, going from a palace all the way to an itty-bitty prophet's house in the desert somewhere. Now, when Naaman, this great general, arrives, Elijah, he doesn't even come out. He sends word through a messenger, probably just some lad, and Elijah tells this messenger, hey, go tell Naaman to wash in the Jordan River seven times, and he'll be okay. Now, when Naaman hears of this, he is furious. He is enraged. You know, Naaman is probably thinking, I came all the way here with all of this. Not only do you not acknowledge this, you don't even acknowledge me. I mean, Naaman is probably thinking, I have a king's letter in my hand. I have my entire fortune behind me. And not only do you not acknowledge that, but you don't even come out to see me. Do you know who I am? Do you not have the decency to come out and wave your hand around my leprosy? to say some magic incantation? Do you not have the decency to heal me in that way? Instead, you tell me to go and wash in the Jordan River, an inferior river? Yes, that's what Elijah does. You know, some of the things, you know, this is something that we often wrestle with. You know, God, the God of the Bible, operates in a different manner, in a different system than the normal human dealings of this world. In other words, for us to get something, we normally have to achieve it through a trade or a transaction. We give something to get something. But the God of the Bible, we don't trade with him. We can't trade with him. We can't make deals with God. We can't. You know, I remember growing up, you know, what was really big during my time was baseball cards. All the young children, or all the young boys, we used to collect baseball cards. We used to save up all of our money and go to the card shop and we would buy baseball cards. And when I was growing up, you know, American shortstops, 
you know, American baseball shortstops. You know, they were, you know, what everyone wanted to be and what everyone wanted to uh, aspire to. And we would collect these cards, especially the American shortstops. We would have Derek Jeter of the, of the New York Yankees. We would have Alex Rodriguez of the Seattle Mariners. We'd have Miguel Tejada, Nomar Garcia Parra, all these famed baseball players, these American shortstops. And we would collect these things, and we would go with our friends, and we would trade them. And whenever we trade, we would always have a nice booklet next to us, a booklet that tells us the value of each card, and we would go to our friends and we would make deals. We would trade. I will give you this that's worth X amount of value. You give me that. But you know, you know what trading is like? You know, if we attempt to trade with God, it's like this. You know, I, I used to love Derek Jeter. He was my favorite, favorite baseball player. He was such a timely, timely player. It, it's like saying, listen, I have this Derek Jeter rookie card. And it's actually like going to Derek Jeter himself and saying, I will give you this amazing card. Can you, Derek Jeter, give me what I need? You know what Derek Jeter would say? I don't need that card. That is me. You know, sometimes when we attempt to trade with God, God, I will give you this. Now, can you give me what I need? It's like for us saying, listen, God, we will give you this small little thing. Can you give us what we want? We don't trade with God. We can't trade with God. You know, the gospel makes clear that nothing we do or give will ever be able to merit or earn God's favor. You know, nothing we give will ever compel God to act. Nothing we offer will ever be a fair price for God's goodness. But you know, too often we perceive God to be this bookkeeper. God, this is what I have. These are my talents. Take this and give me what I really need. No, our dealings with God is never a fair transaction. Nothing we have or do can ever motivate God to act on our behalf. Or sometimes, you know, we treat God like a petulant child. Sometimes we treat God like a, like a child who needs a snack every time we ask him to do something. We dangle a carrot in front of God, almost threatening him, saying, God, if you don't do this, I'm going to withhold this. You know, too often, like Naaman, we come with pride, we come with our past, we come with our achievements and all of our accomplishments, as if that is going to cause God to jump up from his throne and say, yes, Master, what can I do for you? But this is what Naaman expects. He comes with all of his reputation, his success, his ability, and all of his wealth, and he expects that God would act because of who he is. You know, if you think about it for a moment, if we, if we as humans try to fill the emptiness that's inside of us, if we try to fill this great void inside of us by trading for something that we already have, you know, essentially we're just rearranging junk. We're just giving up one piece of trash for another. We're giving up one piece of device that cannot fulfill for something that can't as well. You know, Blaise Pascal said this in his thoughts. He said this, what else 
does this craving and this helplessness proclaim, but that there was once in man a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. See, Blaise Pascal is saying, if we're really empty inside, despite all that we have, doesn't it mean that this emptiness can only be filled by something that is outside of us, by something that is completely foreign to us? See, if we, like Naaman, try to trade what we already have to get something that we don't, we are just rearranging junk. And God is showing this through Naaman. He is showing that our thirst can never be quenched through our toil, that our desire can never be met through a deal, that our search can never be satisfied by a surrender. You know, I wonder the emptiness that Naaman must have felt at this moment. Even as he tried to give everything that he had to gain that which he was seeking. And he knew that that was not enough. And what was, what, what was going through Naaman's mind at that time? Here I am, a man with great reputation, a great position, a great success, and great abilities. And all of this cannot give me what I want. Further, not only that, but I mean, notice the way in which the prophet interacts with him. He doesn't even acknowledge him. He doesn't even come out to see him. In other words, not only was it not enough, but Naaman was insulted. It was actually offensive. All of Naaman's efforts, all of our efforts, to find that which we are seeking. If we try to trade whatever we have and give up whatever we have to gain that, it is futile. The third thing that finally that we can learn from this, or as it points to the gospel, it, just, it shows us the free offer of grace. You know, Naaman decides to go back. He says, you know what? I'm done. I'm sick and tired of this prophet. I'm going back. And as, as he is going back, one of his, or his servants, they say something to him that's quite profound. In verse 13, the servants say this. He says, my father... If the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, go wash and be clean? Now, this is, I think, a brilliant, brilliant line. I don't know if, if you were able to pick up on this, but this is what, this is what uh, the servant is saying. He's saying, look, I know the command, go and wash, might seem insulting, but the servant says this, if the command is that simple, does that not prove God's power? In other words, if God said to do something great and you did it and you were healed, okay, that's good. How much more if he says to do something so simple like this and you were healed? How much more does that show God's power? Right, imagine, imagine your boss comes to you one day and he says, listen, 
I have this great promotion for you. There's this promotion available, and it is for you. You are going to get the position. But he says, but if you want this position, you have to come to work every day 30 minutes earlier. You have to leave an hour later. There are a number of presentations that are coming up, and you have to nail those presentations. Okay? You have to impress the interviewer. You have to show five years of excellent, excellent results. Then, then I can get you the job. And so, yeah, you really want that job. And so you do. You do all those things that the boss says. Now, when you actually get that promotion, what are you going to think? Was it because of my boss? Or was it because I did all of those things? But let's say your boss comes to you one day, and he says, listen, there's this great, great promotion, and I'm going to get you the job. All you need to do, if, let's say, you're a man, all you need to do is you need to come with men's clothes on. That's it. Just come to work with clothes on. And let's say, a while later, you get that promotion. Right? Doesn't that mean, doesn't that show, how much more does that show your boss's ability? You're certainly not going to walk into that new job with that new promotion and say, you know what, I got this job because I wore clothes. Imagine, imagine if Elijah come, came out to name it. Imagine, just he, Elijah came out and he looked at him and he said, hmm, Naaman, you're not good enough. I need 10 more victories from you. And all of that gold and silver, I need double. You know what Naaman would have done? That would have been a challenge worthy of Naaman. Naaman would have went right back and he would have slain, uh, slain nations and he would have brought double he says, yes, that is something that I can do. That is a challenge worthy for the captain of the army of Syria. But that's not what happens. God says, go and wash. Through the prophet, the command is simply, go and wash. And think about that for a moment. Naaman, the great commander of this army, when he hears the words of the servants, he finally decides, you know what, I I'll do it. And he goes off. He treks to the Jordan River with this tiny army and all of that money. And Naaman, this great warrior, he takes off his armor one piece at a time. He takes off his medals one at a time. He takes his clothes off and he strips down naked. His officers, who probably knew of his disease, but was perhaps it was their first time seeing the skin disease on their master with their own eyes. They see their master who would not shake or fear or quiver in the face of thousands of soldiers in battle. They see their master now naked, about to listen to the words of a prophet whom he has not even seen. And this man of great success, reputation, valor, and skill gets naked in a pokey and muddy river, the Jordan River. Naked as he came from the womb, he gets into this river, and seven times he goes in and out, in and out. And he's healed. Naaman can give nothing to be healed. This is a free offer. 
This is a free offer that was given to Naaman. Your money, your reputation, your skills cannot earn this. But if you want to receive it, it means you must forsake your pride and humble yourself. Friends, this is the free offer of the gospel given to Naaman and to both you and I. Isaiah 55 says this, Come all who are thirsty. In other words, come all who are seeking. Come to the waters. But notice what they say, Come you who have no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. You know, this story of Naaman is actually an absurd one. It's a story of a man who is honored in this world, becoming naked in front of his soldiers, doing something so absurd, so foolish, so that he can be healed. You know, I possibly can't think of anything more absurd, possibly with the exception of one thing. Probably even more foolish than the words of Elijah the prophet is the words that come to us in the New Testament. That is, if you put your faith and your trust in a Jewish peasant who died 2,000 years ago, you will have everlasting life. This is crazy. This is absurd. This is foolishness. But that foolishness, when it is believed and trusted, that is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. This offer is free. And it's free. And because it's free, we can't and we must not try to pay for it. You know, often when you go to an amusement park, you'll always find uh, this, this height uh, guideline. It shows that you have to be yay tall to ride a certain ride. You know, I have to confess, I'm the type of parent that I bring my kids along, and I have them stand against it, and they're probably a couple of inches short, and I say, you can do it, don't worry. And uh, I, I'm that bad parent that always tests the limit. I bring my kids along to all the rides, and I just have them wait to see. And quite often, I actually do get to sneak them in. <laughs> uh, I, I teach my kids simple tricks, like when you line up against the thing, you have to sort of lift yourself up a little bit. You know, I give them these, these points and these, uh, these things. Yeah, yes, yes, I, I'm, you know, I, that's what I do. <laughs> um, and, you know, like, you know, more recently we went and, you know, Oliver wasn't tall enough and he actually got caught a couple of times and, you know, he had to go back down crying. You know, I'm the parent that says, suck it up, <laughs> you know, grow two more inches and then we can go together. Um, but, you know, as, as I teach my kids how to just stand up taller, how to just make that standard a little bit more, you know, I think that's quite often what we do in life. You know, there's a certain standard, a certain level, and what we do is we try to stand up taller than that. We try to sit at tables that maybe we don't belong to. We try to look a little more impressive than we actually are. But you know, to enter into the kingdom of God, that's actually inverted. For us to accept and receive the free offer of the gospel, we actually have to go lower and lower. 
we have to understand that everything we have is not enough. We have to understand that our sin and our depravity is so great that no matter how great our efforts or how plentiful our possessions, we will never, never be able to receive it. Friends, the story of Naaman is a story of how God in His Son, Jesus, gives to us the gospel, gives to us that which we desperately seek. And I want to ask you this morning, can you be like Naaman, taking off all of your garments, showing who you truly are, and trusting in the saving work of our Lord Jesus Christ? Join me in prayer.